Well, welcome to the 2007 marriage meeting. Amen. At Faith Life Church, we only have two meetings a year of our own, and uh, this is one of them. Always the first full week in June, marriage meeting. In October, we have a week of increase. And uh, of all the meetings that we could have on all the subjects that we could have them, uh, the Lord directed us this way. And I believe that it's important. Don't you? Now, in the past, we have found that if we're going to have a healing meeting, we had much better attendance. (laughs) Or if we had a prosperity meeting, much better attendance. And there's reason for that. But I commend you. Amen. Amen. For seeing the value of this and see the importance of it. And coming out, I commend you joined with us by the internet. You're making an investment. And sometimes people think, well, I want, I've had some of my friends say, well, Brother Keith, won't you have a minister's meeting? I am. (laughs) This is it. Ah, no, I mean a real minister's meeting. Well, what are the qualifications for ministry? Have you looked it up? It's not how many hours a day you talk in tongues. It's not how much of the Bible you can quote. Anybody, have you read? What's the qualifications for ministers? Good marriage. Good family. This has been overlooked. This has been neglected. So it is of the utmost importance. Let me give you a couple of things before we get into the heart of the things tonight. There is a reading assignment. (laughs) We would like for you, all of us while we're here, to read two chapters each day. From the Song of Solomon, plus 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter. Everybody clear on that? Song of Solomon, two chapters a day. If you do that, then by Friday you'll have read the entire little book, only eight chapters. Two chapters, Song of like for tomorrow you'll read chapter 1 and chapter 2, Song of Solomon, plus you'll read 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, read it together, husbands and wives, read it together. Some of your Bibles will show the man's part and the woman's part. If you find it like that, then men, you read your part. Women, you read your part. Read it out loud. Are you with me now? Husbands, wives, don't go to your separate corners and read it silently. Read it together. Read it out loud, and it's important. Pray before you read it, and read it in faith. Now, you don't have to understand everything you're getting out of it. How many believe there are no superfluous books in the Bible? There are no unnecessary books. And so you don't hear a whole lot about Song of Solomon. You don't hear that many messages preached on it, but it's there for a reason, isn't it? There is a supply of the Spirit. For husbands and wives. And it goes beyond our minds. So just read it in faith. Pray before you read it. Say Lord help us to get out of this. What we should get. Help us to get a supply of the spirit. Help us to get revelation. And then read it in faith. And then two chapters. Song of Solomon. And then read 1 Corinthians 13. And read it in different translations. If you have it available to you. 
Everybody clear on that? Please do that. Also, let me talk to you just a little bit about the purpose of this meeting. And uh, I think it's a reason why just universally in churches all over, you don't see people that are interested in investing into this area of their lives. I mean, it's not a regional thing. It's not with a particular church. You just see all over that if you announce, man, we're going to have a Holy Ghost meeting, people come out. You're going to have a prosperity meeting. Well, the people come out. Going to have a healing meeting. Going to have a marriage meeting. I'm going to stay home. <laughs> people do not see the value of it. I want you to turn with me real quickly to Titus, the uh, second chapter. Titus chapter 2. This is the preview to the introduction. (laughs) Y'all not in a rush tonight, are you? I believe I've got direction. Hmm? You believing with me? I believe we've got answers here tonight from the Word of God. In Titus 2 and verse 3, Titus 2, verse 3, the aged women, older women, Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Did you know that there are many situations of churches and ministries and ministers and Christians uh, wherein the Word of God is reproached because of their lives and the problems in their lives and the problems and messes in their families? It brings reproach to the ministry. Notice the phrase he uses here that... uh, That the word of God be not blasphemed. That people not mock and belittle and speak derogatorily of church and the church of God, the kingdom of God, the word of God. Because of the way our lives are. Our personal lives, our families, our marriages. It's not enough just come preach and holler about it. How we live in front of the ungodly. How we live in front of the people that don't go to church. Is huge, isn't it? Did you see this phrase? Well, first of all, why aren't more people interested in this kind of thing? Well, so many people think, I don't need anybody to tell me how to love my husband. I don't need anybody to tell me how to love my wife. I certainly don't need anybody telling me how to love my kids. Well, according to the Bible... Apparently, you do. Anybody with me on this now? Did you see the scripture? That the older women would do what? Teach the younger women, among other things, how to love their husbands. And how to love their children. Now, the problem is, people think that marriage and love is automatic. That if you got it, 
you got it. Sometimes you lose it, and it's inexplicable how that happens. But when the thrill is gone, it's gone, and you can't get it back, and it's just a mystery. But if you got it, you got it. And as long as you got it, you got it till you lose it. And then if you lose it, it's gone. (laughs) Nobody can get it back. Well... This is worldly, ungodly thinking. And it shouldn't be in the church. It is, but it shouldn't be. Every year in the church, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of marriages die from neglect. They starve to death. Are you with me? Every year, every year in the church, in this country and worldwide, who knows the number of hundreds of thousands and more of marriages that die, that starve to death, that perish from complete and total neglect. Friends, everything on this planet If it's going to thrive, if it's going to flourish, it's got to be fed, it's got to be nourished, it's got to be maintained, it's got to be cared for. Everything. What you neglect, what you starve, you're going to lose. It's going to fade. It's going to grow weak. That's why we're having a marriage meeting. Hmm? Because nobody has a good marriage that stays good and gets better by neglecting it or starving it. You got to feed it. You got to nourish it. Got to take care of it. And God has given us solid instruction in the Word of God. What the husband's supposed to do, what the wife's supposed to do, what they're to do individually, what they're to do together. And we need to check up on a regular basis. Are we doing this? Can I do it better? Right? Hence the marriage meeting. Hmm? And you're going to hear some of the same things. But a lot of you guys are preachers. I mean, y'all preach on this. Y'all taught these things yourself. And Phyllis and I don't purport to, uh, you know, no more than somebody else. We just celebrated 30 years being married together. And... Thank you. We've learned a lot of stuff not to do. <laughs> and we've learned a lot of things that don't work. And thank God, by the mercy and grace of God, some things that do. Once we got in the Word and begin to do the Word. And we figure if the Lord tarries His coming, we're about halfway. Huh? Yeah. And we want to do this for ourselves. To invest And to feed and to nourish and to take care of our relationships so that they're protected, so that they grow, so that they increase. And I know that you care about this because your presence here uh, says that loudly. So uh, this marriage meeting, we initially started it just for our own church. But we uh, more and more we have people come and join us. From other places. And I can see the Lord's doing something here. And we don't have uh, morning services. 
on purpose. We want you to come and play and rest in the morning and in the day. And then come at night and get fed. Maybe corrected and fed. Nourished, instructed, and then the next day do what? Play and rest and then come and... <laughs> Nobody wants to say that next part. <laughs> Be fed. Do I need to go over that again? What do you do in the morning? Come on, somebody help me. What do you do in the morning? Play and or rest. Is that okay? All right. Go to the book of Revelation, please, with me this evening. Now, these are different kind of services. And sometimes it gets quiet. That doesn't mean anything's wrong. <laughs> it just means uh, folks are thinking. Amen. Right? Amen. Sometimes we draw pictures. Might be your picture. <laughs> if, if it is... Don't get a scowl, a look on your face, and don't say anything that would make yourself more known. Just look straight ahead, <laughs> smile, and go, Amen, Brother Keith. <laughs> Somebody needs to hear that. And if you need to, when you get home, fall across the bed and repent and go, Oh, God, that was me, that was me. But no need to do that in here. Just look straight ahead, smile, go praise the Lord. That's, yeah, Brother Keith, somebody needs to hear that. Before we get into the heart of the message, we got the preview to the intro. Now the intro. (laughs) There's a couple of things I'd like for us to check up on ourselves, ask ourselves a question. We're going to begin to answer it as we go through the word. Uh, One is, who is your example of a right and a godly marriage? Who is your example? What is your ideal? Who are you looking at? Who are you comparing yourself to? Who are you measuring yourself by? What is your standard? You will hear a lot of uh, quotations when it comes to marriage. Well, I just always believe... Well, you know, Mama always said, well, you know, Daddy always believed. My Grandpa and Grandma, they always said, well, these things reveal that you're looking at their lives. And the problem with that can be uh, that you don't know. You see things from the outside, but you don't know people's inner workings. Even children growing up in the house with parents, there's so much you don't know about your mother and father's relationship with each other. Isn't that true? And you just don't know as so many people that seem to have some issues on the outside are actually stronger in their union than other people. And some other folk that seem so loving and tender and wonderful on the outside can hardly talk to each other at home. It's a big front. It's a big put on. So what am I saying? Don't get to looking at somebody else. 
setting them up as your ideal. Well, I want to be like them. Well, first of all, you don't even know how they really are. I had uh, a couple sitting across from my desk some years ago, newly married, thinking they were about through with it, though, wanting to quit, and uh, upset, been fighting, and he and she were trying to tell me some of their problems, and finally she said, well, you know, he doesn't treat me like so-and-so. He's not, he doesn't talk to me and he, he doesn't treat me like so-and-so. And she kept talking about so-and-so. Finally, I looked at him. I said, who is that? He said, Brother Keith, it's this guy's character on a soap opera. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny. But it is all too common that even though people don't come out and say it, their ideal of the perfect marriage is from a romance novel, a movie, some something that they imagined that somebody else has. They don't live with them. They don't really know their inner workings, but they've imagined that they're a certain way. And so it's no wonder they're so frustrated because they're comparing themselves to something that is not real. Are y'all with me on this? There's a reason why they call them actors. <laughs> and this perfect romance and relationship that the people saw on the screen and so desired, they didn't realize that at the end of that scene, the director said, cut. And they went back to their trailers and hardly spoke to each other. And both of them are on their seventh and eighth marriage. You wanting to be like them? No, you don't. They're not like they're acting and pretending to be. Now, I know we should already know this, but people don't. They live in this imaginary, pretend world, and and they are comparing themselves with something that they don't even know how it really is, and they're comparing themselves with a false thing, a pretend thing. And people say, well, you know, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. Well, marriage is a whole lot of give and take. Well, marriage and marriage, anytime you think of these cliches, I want you to ask yourself, where is that in the Bible? Well, everybody knows that's true. No, no, they don't. Where is it in the Bible? And if you don't find it in here, quit trying to live by it. Well, so-and-so wrote it in their book, and they're an expert on marriage. According to who? There are so many people that have actually made their marriage worse by reading somebody's book on marriage and trying to apply it. I mean, it's happened all too often. So many of these cliches, they simply don't work or in many cases make things worse. Where is it? Well, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. Said who? Where is that in the Bible? It's not. Well, marriage is a whole lot of give and take. Where is that at? I'm telling you, challenge yourself. Well, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) Is that a scripture? Where is that at? And I just found out. Just say yes to mama and make mama happy and everything goes real good. Is that what the Bible says? No. 
Huh? Do you see what I'm talking about though? People are quoting this stuff like they're quoting Bible. And even though they're laughing, ha ha about it, really they're more serious than they're pretending to be. This really is what they're going by. You've heard us say this if you've been with us in these meetings before, but I, I want to say it again. You cannot overemphasize it. The Bible said in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, you don't have to turn there, but Ephesians 5, he said, For this cause a man will leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The answer to all questions in marriage. The answer, the revelation, the direction for any issue, every issue that can arise in a marriage is answered by Christ and the church. Did you hear this now? Oh, it's so important. How am I supposed to treat my wife in this situation, Brother Keith, exactly like Christ treats the church? Brother Keith, how am I supposed to respond to my husband in this situation? Exactly like the church is supposed to respond to Christ. The answer to every question in marriage, said out loud, the answer to every question in marriage is Christ and the church. Do you believe that? Then what is your example? What is your ideal? What is the standard that you're shooting for in your marriage? If there's some things that have impressed you about mom and daddy's marriage or grandpa and grandma or your pastors or whoever, it's because to some degree it was like Christ in the church. If there was something good about it, that's what it was. But don't get your eyes on them because everybody's human and everybody's got their faults and mistakes. And if you just try to duplicate them, you'll wind up duplicating their mistakes as well. No, get your eyes off of people all together. Y'all with me now? Get your eyes up higher. Get your eyes up higher. What is the ultimate example of a perfect marriage? Christ and the church. Christ is already perfect. And we're talking about the glorified church. Can you say amen? I want you to say it one more time. I know it's repetitious, but oh, if... uh, Anybody in ministry, you know it, questions arise daily. Yeah, but what about this? People act like they've come up with something new. Yeah, but he said this. And what do I do now? Yeah, but she's done this and she's always done this. What do I do now? What's the answer? Christ Christ and the church is the answer to every question that could possibly arise in marriage. Now, tomorrow, forever. All questions are answered. Every issue is revealed every question in Christ and the church. Now, uh, secondly, and this is part B of the introduction. Sometimes you got to get certain things taken care of before you can go to the next part. Secondly, you want to ask you, uh, we're asking two questions in preparing ourselves for the rest of the word. What was the first question? Who's my example? What's my standard? What are we comparing ourselves to? Make sure it is not a novel. It is not a movie. It is not a soap. It's not even somebody you know. Hmm? 
And don't, when you get to, you know, arguing about something, don't you say, yeah, but my mom always did this. Yeah, but my daddy always did this. They're not your examples. You're Christians now. Hmm? And if they set some good examples, thank God for it. But lift your eyes on up. Hmm? Christ and the church. You could not be too repetitious with that. If you didn't get anything else, which I believe you will, if you just got this one thing and put it into practice, it'd change your life. It'd change your marriage forever. Every day you should be thinking Christ in the church. In the morning, in the afternoon, at nighttime, Christ in the church. Yeah, but I got money issues. Christ in the church. Children issues. Christ in the church. Sex issues. Christ in the church. Christ in the church. Morning, noon, and night, all the time, answers every question. Christ and the church. That was the first question. Here's the second one. Second one. Are you... A hypocrite. (laughs) Are you a hypocrite? We need to get this question answered. Before we can go on further and make progress. Are you. What do you mean Brother Keith? Well. You hear. You know in dealing with people in their marriage problems. You hear any number of things. Sometimes you hear this. Well they. They don't love me like they used to. They don't treat me like they used to. They didn't do this for me. They didn't do that for me. I know Phyllis, the lady, come to her one time. She was so upset, so upset. It was their anniversary, I guess. And the guy did not get her any flowers. And she was really upset. I mean upset to the point of leaving him for a few days. And she was, you know, talking to Phyllis about it. And Phyllis said, well, how many flowers did you get him? She said, well, uh, why would you even say something like that? Why is it required for one party to do something and unexpected for the other? This is not the Bible. This is society. Are you a hypocrite? Are you upset because they haven't done something that you haven't done? Are you a hypocrite? Hmm? Well, I told them five times I'd like for them to lose some weight. How much have you lost? Well, they just don't treat me like when we first met. They don't feel about me like when we first met. Well, how do you feel about them? You're treating them the same way as well. Well, no, I'm not because they're not treating me that way. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. You are not doing and unwilling to do what you're mad at them for not doing. Well, we're having fun now, aren't we? Someone said, Brother Keith, couldn't you just kind of have eased into this? (laughs) I guess not. Here we are. (laughs) You don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be upset with them because they're not doing something you're not doing. Not even willing to do. Someone said, well, I mean, as soon as they'll start 
doing it. I'll think about doing it. Well, have you ever heard of sowing and reaping? It's not reaping and sowing. Hmm? First you sow. Then, afterwards, you reap. People say, well, they, they're not treating me. You know, when we first met, they couldn't do enough for me. Oh, they did this and they did that. And they were so nice and, and they were so kind. And, and now they never do it. And what do you do? What are you doing? See, so much of this stuff is one-sided. And it is hypocritical. And if you are a judge, you're not a doer. James says so. If you're a judge, you're not a doer. If you really are a doer, you'll find the people who are doing these things, they're not judging the other person for doing it or not doing it because they're actually in faith. Hmm? And how many understand if you say, well, he never does this, and he always does this, and he never, and she never does this. Have you ever heard of confession? That you have what you say. Well, he never does this, and he always forgets, and she never does this. And how long you been saying that? (laughs) And they never do. And they always fail. We're supposed to be faith people. Right? We're supposed to be willing to call those things that be not as though they were. We're supposed to be unmoved by what we see and feel. (laughs) If we really were faith people, then when our spouse did something dumb, we'd look at them and go, brilliant. (laughs) They're, They're brilliant. In Jesus' name. If they forgot something for the 90th time, you'd go, they always remember. (laughs) Speak it over. They always remember. Thank you, Lord. They always remember. Always ready on time. (laughs) They're always ready on time. Thank you, Lord. They always know what to say when we're out and never say the wrong thing. Praise you, Lord. The Lord orders our directions. And I don't mean say it in a uh, sarcastic, mocking way. I'm talking about in a positive faith way since we're such word people and faith people. (laughs) Are you a hypocrite? Hmm? Is it reasonable for you to be upset that they're not doing something you're not doing? And you're not willing to do what you're asking them to do for you? No. You know, we preached, what, a couple of years ago on sucker or sower. <laughs> sucker or sower. So, and you can get these. You want to catch up on the past uh, marriage? Because I know you're going to want to run right out and get that. Sucker and find out which one you are. Uh, <laughs> they're all available at no charge. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> there is a scripture that I had for that. I know you've heard it before. Do unto others as you would have them 
do unto you. Ask yourself that. Check up on yourself frequently. The next time, the very next time you find yourself upset with your spouse about something, about something that they did or something that they didn't do, ask yourself that question. Now, am I a hypocrite? Am I giving them what I'm saying I want them to give me? Am I doing the same thing I'm saying I want them to stop doing? Am I a hypocrite? Or am I really going to be a faith person about this? Revelation 2. Have you found your place? Now I think we can go on. (laughs) Revelation 2. These services are for grown-ups. Right? Supposed to be adults to be married, right? I mean, so we, if we're old enough to be married, we ought to be old enough to look at real questions, deal with real issues, be man enough, woman enough to admit it when we need to make adjustments and change. There's nobody who has arrived at total perfection of Christ in the church and don't need any tweaking and adjustments. Hmm? There's no married couple in here. I don't care if you, how long you've been married. How long you walk with God, how many scriptures you can quote, how long you've been talking in tongues. There is no married couple in here that we can put up on the platform and put the spotlight on them and go, arrived. <laughs> they have arrived at Christ-like and glorious church perfection. When you've seen them any day of the, any time of the night or day, you have seen Christ in the church. Well, no, everybody has got room. To develop and grow and adjustments to be made. The question is, you know, are we willing? And I believe you are because you're here. We're here. We're willing. Revelation 2. Are you there? Revelation 2. Verse 4. This deals with a whole area of things. But I just want to focus on one small part of this. Revelation 2 and 4 The Lord says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Somebody say first love. love. He said, you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place except you Repent. Now he's writing to a a whole church and churches and it applies to all of us in different degrees and measure. But I want to apply it to marriage. This is something that you see and hear a lot. That people say, well, it's not like it used to be. Boy, when we first, uh, who was that? Johnny and June Cash sang that song. We got married in a fever. Hotter than a pepper sprout. But they've been talking about Jackson as leaving each other and going separate ways ever since the fire went out. So, I mean, it was passionate. It was amazing. It was uh, amazing in the beginning. But the fire died down. And it's not like it used to be. And that's why some people go from marriage to marriage. And so many times don't even go through the formality of marriage. Go from person to person. uh, Because as soon as that first flame 
passion intensity wanes, well, why bother? And they're on to somebody new. And the problem is, is that nobody can stay brand new forever. And no matter if you had the most amazing, most beautiful, most spiritual, most brilliant, most developed partner in the world. Does that mean you're not going to look at anybody else? Wondering about a new person. Actually, that's the language in the Proverbs. Where he, the writer of the Proverbs, warns his sons about the strange woman. Now that's not just talking about weird woman. Strange means new. The new woman. And that is the thing the enemy tries to pull on. And Because when it's somebody you don't know that's new, you can imagine all this fantasy stuff. But if you are with them for a time, reality eventually sets in. And it's going to be that way with anybody and everybody. But we as children of God are supposed to recognize that we have entered into a covenant with each other. Hallelujah. Between each other and before the Lord and covenant means binding. We're bound together. We're tied together. And so some that have consented to that and and to them it's more like stuck together. (laughs) Okay, we can't divorce because of the covenant, because of the kids, because of the church, because of the ministry. We'll do our duty. And there are many that are enduring marriage instead of enjoying marriage. That can change. I've got news for you, friends. That can change. It can change quickly. Brother Keith, can it be just like it was at one time? Well, that's the past. That's history. It's not going to be just like it was. It's going to be different. But it can be better. I said it can be better. No, it's not going to be the same. You don't want it to be the same. You should have grown some since then. They should have grown some since then. But it does not have to be dull and old and duty only. It does not have to be. Some watered down version that you used to be passionate about each other. But now you're basically just roommates. Does not have to be that way. Somebody say different. But better. In Jesus name. He said you've left your first love. You left it. Didn't say it left you. You left it. Now, there are three words that follow. Are you there in verse 4 and 5? And this is it. How many would like to have something as good and better than what you first had when you started off? It's right here. The instructions for it is right here. He said, you left your first love. 
The very next verse, what did he say do about it? What if you have lost that first love? You've lost that first passion, that desire, that enthrallment, that infatuation. What if you've lost that? Verse 5, do what? Remember. Remember. Somebody say remember. Remember what? Remember from where you have fallen and do what? Second word. Repent. What does repent mean? Repent does not just mean cry and feel bad about it. Repent does not mean yield to condemnation. What does repent mean? Repent means change. Change. Turn from something to something else. Change. Say it out loud. Remember? Repent. Now keep reading. What's the next word? And do. That's the third word. Do. Do what? Do the first works. Do the first work. You lost your first love. Why? She quit doing the first works. You stopped doing what you were doing and wanted to keep getting the same results. Doesn't work. You quit sowing. And still want to reap? Sorry. Not going to happen. You quit praying, but you still want to get direction. You quit feeding on the word, but you still want to be strong in your faith. You quit doing the things that led you from nothing to this passion. And yet you want to be passionate for the next 50 years. It comes back to the same lie and deception that good marriage is automatic some way or another. That we never have to feed it. We never have to nourish it. We never have to do anything with it. And it's just, if you got it, you got it. It's just going to be good from the rest of your life. No, it is not. If you don't feed it, it'll starve. If you don't tend to it, if you don't nourish it, it'll get weaker and weaker. And it can die. And it's not because it left you, you left it. They left their first love. Oh, but I'm excited because the very next verse tells you how to get it back. We can get it back. Somebody said, as good as it used to be, better, different, but better. What do you got to do? Three words. You got to remember... What you used to do. A lot of folk have completely forgotten. Right? You got to remember. What else you got to do? You got to change your ways, brother, sister. You got to change. And that's where the rub comes in. Isn't it? Ah, we've been doing this for now on 45 years, young whippersnapper. And it's just too late to change now. Well, be dull and bored then. (laughs) Nobody can help you. (laughs) If you want something different, you got to do something different. Got to change. Remember, repent, and what else? Do, do what? Or we might say, redo what you did. Do the first works, which redo what you used to do. Say it out loud. Remember? Remember. Repent. Repent. Redo. Redo. Go back to doing 
the first works. Go back to doing what you used to do. When you got married, you didn't just walk down the street and see somebody and go, hey, you want to get married? (laughs) Sure, let's do it. That may have happened somewhere sometime, but I hope not with you. (laughs) There was some things that led up to walking the aisle, to making those commitments, to getting married, right? And it's our job, according to the Word of God, we're supposed to remember some things. Can you remember what led up to your saying, I do? Do you remember the first time you laid eyes on him or her? I'm not just asking a question. I want you to actively be doing, being a doer of the word right now, remembering when you first saw them. Do you remember when you first saw them? I remember when I first saw Phyllis. Oh, yeah. It's actually in junior high. Woo. I felt faint. <laughs> Thought, now there is a girl. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you ever saw? Hmm? Now, I'm going to give you, oh, it's depending on what kind of time we've got, but at least two or three areas of things we, we should remember we should repent and we should redo to recover our first love and go beyond. Are you interested with it? Are you willing to do it? Now, do you no good unless you, unless you do it, unless you are willing to put forth some effort to do it. Some effort to do what? Remember? Repent means change. Do or redo what you used to do. One of the first areas, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. When people get married, there are several things that drew them together and made them want to stay together. I mean, some very definite and powerful things happened that got you to the place where you decided you just needed to spend every day together for the rest of your lives. Hmm? That didn't just fall on you out of the blue. Why then do so many people who were so infatuated with each other, so passionate, so thrilled, wind up despising each other and separated and are divorced? Can't stand each other. What happened? They left their first love. They stopped doing what caused them to get to that point of passion and infatuation. And they started doing some other things that caused them, instead of getting closer together, caused them to start growing apart. They stopped doing what drew them together and started doing things that divide and separate. And they kept doing that until they had such a wedge driven between them, they didn't see how to ever get back together again. But we're not supposed to be ignorant of the Satan's devices, are we? And if we'll heed the word, we won't be. The first area I want to talk to you about, and I know you're going to enjoy it, 
is the physical. The physical. Do you remember when you first saw this person? Hmm? Something was attractive to you. It had to be their body in most cases. Because that's all you knew. Until you met them. Until you met them. Until you got to spend some time with them. Until you got to talk to them. But uh, whether it's high school or college or at the workplace or something. Your eyes fell on them. Hmm? And you found them attractive. The physical has been minimized in church. The physical has been disregarded. Hasn't it? Oh, that's not, you know, that's not important. We're spiritual people. Oh, it's important. I said it's important. (laughs) In fact, think about it. If it weren't for the physical... If it weren't for the sex and the physical part of marriage, why would you need the license? From a legal, natural standpoint, if there was nothing physical, the physical is a big part. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, are you there? (laughs) Now, when I'm reading scriptures... You want to remind yourself, this is not Brother Keith's idea. <laughs> or opinion, or theory. You need to remember, it's Bible. Amen. This was in here a long time before I was born. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6, 13. 6, 13. Meats for the belly. Belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Eventually everything down here is going to melt with fervent heat and be destroyed. Now the body is not for fornication. The world, the ungodly world around us tells us that it is. Well, you got natural desires. That's what it's for. Just do what comes natural. No, the body's not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us these bodies. By his own power. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ. This is not widely believed. Somebody say my body. body, This body. body Is a member. A a permanent member. member Of Christ. Christ. This is no brother Keith. My spirit is. No your body is too. No, no, Brother Keith, I'm losing this body and good riddance, and I'm going to get a new body. Incorrect. It's going to be this body glorified. A lot of people think they don't like that. Oh, no, I don't like this body. I want to be rid of this body, and I want my new body. No, I assure you, once the glory completes flowing over it, you'll be perfectly happy with it. But it's going to be this body. This one right here, right now. This body, the Lord thinks so much of it that he has bought and paid for it with his own blood and made it a permanent part of himself. Now it's going to have to be glorified and changed. 
But it's going to be this body. Glorified. We should have more respect for this body than we do. A lot of folk despise their body. They hate their body. And they treat it that way. They abuse it. They maltreat it. They They take better care of their house than they do their bodies. They take better care of their cars than they do their bodies. They despise it. They don't like it. Well, marriage, the body, plays a big part. Doesn't it? Big part. And we, we, if we minimize that and we ignore that, then we're just making it easy for the devil to tempt us and cause us problems. Keep reading. He said, know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. And that refers to marriage. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body. But he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Sins against what? Can you sin against your own body? And God would call it a sin. Something that you did wrong with your body. Now see this contradicts. What so many people think and feel is, hey, my body is my body. And what does it hurt you, what I do with it? Or what is it to you? My body is my body. Well, that just simply is not true. Your body is not your own body, if you're a Christian. And if you're married, it's somebody else's too. If you are married... You are number three in position of who gets to say so about your body. Hmm? Am I reading scripture? Is this right or not? Keep reading. Verse 19. What? <laughs> know you not? But no, it's in this. Don't you know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Somebody said out loud, my body, my body is, not my own. is not my own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. See how that flows together? He's talking about your body is not your own. And he goes right into talking about husbands and wives. Can you see that? Y'all act like you're scared to hear this. The Word does not put us in bondage. The Word makes us free. And if we want different results than we've been getting, if we want a different relationship and a different marriage, we're going to have to do something different. Here he says, verse 2, to avoid what? The church doesn't talk enough about fornication. In a positive way. Most of the time. If you hear anything about fornication. It's just. It's a sin. You're going to hell. 
And yet, fornication is rampant in the church. But it's not talked about. It's hush, hush. Fornication was a huge problem here and then. This was preserved and recorded for us, for posterity. Because as long as we're in these bodies, it'll always be a big deal. You will not be protected and be safe by ignoring the strong pull for sex. The Bible deals with it very, you know, openly and very strongly and shows you what to do. But we're coming out from generations that were afraid to talk about it. Probably most of you, your parents never talked to you about sex or especially to any degree. Maybe 10 minutes sometime. Hmm? I see heads nodding all over the place. You learned about sex from your buddies at school who didn't have a clue. <laughs> or from reading some dumb books that were pornographic fiction. Friend, this is not something to be taken lightly. We need to talk about it. We need to look at it. We need to deal with it. You take a man like David. A man, King David. A man after God's own heart. A man who loved God. A man who flowed in the Spirit. Sang all those psalms. Did all those holy things. And who just messed up his life and his kingdom. By getting his eyes on a woman. Didn't mean he didn't love God. Didn't mean that in so many other areas he wasn't a good man. A noble man. A man that knew something about honor. Oh. Honor. And God. And yet. This pull was strong. And he yielded. Notice what he said in this. Second verse, read it with me. Nevertheless, what? For what reason? To avoid fornication, to avoid this kind of thing, do what? Let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. What is a strong deterrent against fornication and affairs? Hmm? Having a right, godly, satisfying marriage. Hmm? When you got a Ferrari at home, you are not tempted to steal somebody's used VW off the street corner. <laughs> if you got any sense, you won't. I'm not making this up now. I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. He said to avoid fornication. Have your wife. Wife, have your husband. Now keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 3. Let the husband render to the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. Even the translators of the King James Version got squeamish at this point. (laughs) 
due benevolence. Oh, wow. What does, what does that mean? <laughs> due benevolence. Well, the previous verse, he's talking about avoiding fornication. Amen. Right? Amen. He's talking plain, and then these guys go, hmm. Let's call it due benevolence. Because <laughs> things such as these should not be very graphic in church. Somebody may read this from a pulpit sometime. And because people have been so afraid to talk about these things, then people are unprepared. They're not dealing with temptation like they should be. They're pretending that they're not tempted. They're pretending that it's not a deal. And then, boom, they fall. Somebody say, not us. Not us. 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 Let every man have his own wife. Let the wife have her own husband. And let them render to each other what is due. Keep reading. Now, here's the part I want us to get to on this. The wife has not power of her own body. But who does? Now see back just a few verses before. He said to all of us. Your body's not your own. It's been bought with a price. It belongs to God. Now he's telling you. If you're married. It also belongs to your spouse. The wife has not power of her own body. But the husband. And likewise also the husband has not power of his own body but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or lack of control. He's writing about fornication. We call it affairs today. Having sex with people that you're not married to. Having sex with other people's husbands and wives. And all this kind of stuff. And he's telling you how to keep from having. How to keep from yielding to these kind of temptations. What's the strongest deterrent here? Having a right marriage. Hmm? Having a right marriage. There's Christians. Sitting in church. They haven't had proper physical relations in years. Years. Completely ignoring these verses. Oh, well. We don't care about that kind of thing that much. We've gotten spiritual. My husband don't really care. It doesn't matter to him. My wife don't really care. You are kidding yourself. You have deceived yourself. The Bible is right. And it's right for everybody. And it applies to everybody. And people use these things. They use and withhold relations from each other for all kind of excuses and all kind of reasons and completely disobey the Bible. Now, on the other hand, love is not going to want or try to compel anybody to do something that they don't want to do. It's not. But it's a problem. 
And when you go and go and things are not right, temptation becomes harder to deal with. He said, let me read this to you from another translation. This is the uh, Young's literal translation of verse uh, 4 and very accurate. He said, the wife over her own body has not authority, but the husband. In like manner also the husband over his own body has not authority, but the wife. The New Living Translation says, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. I think a lot of people have have twisted this to their own thinking and tried to make it say, well, what that means is my spouse should have access to my body. At times. Use of my body. At times. That's not what it said. What did it actually say? The word literally is authority. They have authority. Over your body. That covers more. Than the act of sex. When you first met. We're talking about how, how did you get from total strangers to being so enthralled with each other that you couldn't bear the thought of not seeing each other every day for the rest of your lives? How'd you get from total strangers to that? Most cases it started with the body. Hmm? What you saw in the body interested you enough Attracted you enough to pursue them to want to find out more about them. Hmm? I know uh, that was the deal with uh, Phyllis for me. (laughs) I saw her in class. And I thought, I need to talk to her. (laughs) So I began to try to come up with this idea about how I could do that. And tried to figure it out. And eventually, I situated, we situated ourselves where I could see her and sit close by her in science class, I guess it was. And then I needed help with a project. (laughs) Never mind, I had really good grades, but I, I needed help. And it was necessary to go to her house and talk about this science project. <laughs> and of course, we need to talk about it some more the next week after that. And um, <laughs> I know this friend of mine out on the mission field some years ago, he called me and he said, Oh, you know, he was single. He said, Oh, glory to God, Brother Keith, this young lady is teaching me the language and I'm teaching her the word every day. <laughs> I hung up the phone, I looked at Phyllis, and I said, yeah, yeah, there'll be some bells here before long. Sure enough, it wasn't very long. They're engaged. And But what got you, you know, why the science project? I saw something. The attraction of the physical. 
We're supposed to retain that. I said we're supposed to retain that throughout our marriage. Aren't we? I said, well, now, it's just, you got to be reasonable, Brother Keith. We get older. Things happen. Childbirth. 30 years at a desk. Gravity. (laughs) You know, that's just, that's not reasonable. Brother Keith, listen, I didn't write these scriptures. And I'm not telling you how to apply them. But I am saying we should respect these verses. Which means we should respect our spouse's Wishes and desires concerning our body. Who has authority over your body? Your spouse does. Hmm? And there's some things that's not in your control. But there's a lot of things that are. Hmm? There's a lot of things that are. And... If they would prefer that you were a little thinner and they have asked you to be and you have ignored them, then you're not doing your marital duty. Maybe you're plenty thin, you're just flabby and out of shape. And they've asked you, would you tone up a little bit, but you're too busy and What does it matter if they love me? They shouldn't really care. That's not true. If you loved them, you'd do something about it. All this love being one-sided stuff is back to the hypocrisy thing. They should have a say-so. How you wear your hair. How you dress. Guys... If your wife prefers that you don't wear stripes and plaids together, (laughs) she has authority concerning your body. Hmm? The list goes on. Now, see, folks don't like to talk about this, do they? They want to talk about, let's pray in tongues more. Let's speak the word over each other and let's, <laughs> let's intercede. Yeah, anything except put the flesh under. If both of y'all are 50 pounds overweight and both of you are happy with each other, that's none of my business. Or anybody else's, that's your business. Are you with me now? Nobody should be telling, and a man doesn't have a right to tell another man's wife how to do or dress, and that woman doesn't have a right to tell somebody else's husband. That's none of their business. Or what size they think they ought to be, or what shape, or none of that. It's not their business. It's between you and your spouse. I'm talking about things they have talked to you about and asked you to do or not do concerning their body. People say, well, I don't think they've said anything in the last five years. Yeah, Yeah, but how many times did they say it prior to that? 
<laughs> and they finally just quit and gave up. Well, that's a problem. That means you lost something. I said that means you lost something. And you keep losing pieces of your relationship like that. It can make you more vulnerable to temptation. Somebody comes along offering that. That you've wanted. Now there is no excuse. For yielding to the flesh. And being unfaithful. None. And if you're a man or woman of faith, even if you've had some issues with your spouse, I don't care what area it is, you need to believe God that if you'll stand and sow good seed, God will work in your life and in your marriage, and He will satisfy you. He will take care of you. And like I said, love is not going to try to coerce a person to do something that they don't want to do. But if you love them, and it's something you can do, hmm? oh, I'd do anything for them. So many times people are lying. Oh, I love them with all my heart. I'd do anything for them. Well, lose five pounds. Uh, what do you got to bring that up for? <laughs> I'd do anything for her. Well, let's trim some of that belly off. Well, let's, you know, have a little better hygiene. (laughs) Smell a little better. It's just rude. Always having bad breath. And don't care. Well, I'm married. Supposed to kiss me anyway. (laughs) See, remember. Remember back when you started. What'd you do? If they said they liked that red dress, what'd you do? Oh, man. Five more red dresses. Right? If she said something about your arms, what'd you do? Whoo! Go to the gym. Hit them arms every day. Huh? They said they liked this or they liked that. You accentuated that. You focused on that. And as a result, what happened? More fire. Closer. More attraction. More interest. Oh, can you see this? Then why, when people get married and they quit doing all that, not just one of them, both of them, and then the fire begins to wane and act like it's some great mystery. Why we don't feel for each other like we used to? Well, no, you're not doing what you did. You quit doing that and you started fussing at each other. And chewing on each other. And finding fault. You must remember. And you must repent. Change. And you must redo what you did. There's a lot of folks. If you were, you looked and acted then like you do now. They'd have just walked right by you. You would have never gotten to know each other. Now I know some folk don't like this. But is it in the Bible or not. That your body. Is not your own. That your spouse has what? What's the word? 
authority over it. Now, if you love somebody, you're not going to demand of something you're not willing to do yourself. Love is not demanding anyway. But if you care about that person and there's something you can do, we're biblically responsible and obligated to do it. Skip down to verse 33, 733. He that's married cares for the things that are of the world. How he may what? How he may what? Please his wife. Husband, should you think about how to please your wife? You don't need to know how to please women. You need to know how to please your wife. Hmm? Oh, I'm a great husband. I'm a great husband. It doesn't matter all that much what you think. What does she think? I'm a great wife. I'm one of the best wives anybody ever had. That matters little what you think. What does he think? Hmm? He said that he may please his wife. Verse 34. Difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord. She may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world. How she may please her husband. Should we put forth effort to learn what pleases our spouse? Should we be willing to make adjustments? It's kind of weak, guys. I got two amens and a nod. Should we be willing to do what pleases our spouse? Should we be willing to do what's within our power? To have our bodies, keep our bodies, carry our bodies, dress our bodies the way it pleases them. And yet, so many marriages, this is not the case at all. At all. People quit trying years ago. They don't want to hear about it. That's why it gets quiet and you feel tension sometimes in the crowd. Because people just don't want to do it. They are unwilling to talk about it or look at it or do it. Unwilling. And yet... They want this fiery passion like they used to have. Well, when you choose not to do it, you choose not to have it. Can't ignore the Bible and get Bible results. So what do we remember? What do we change? What do we redo? One thing is concerning the body. Don't neglect the body. Don't ignore the body's part of marriage. It's a big part. Hmm? Secondly, go with me to Amos 3, actually, first, while you're in the New Testament here, go to 1 Thessalonians 5, then we'll go to Amos 3, 1 Thessalonians 5. If I sound a little forceful here and there, it's because of the effort I'm having to make to overcome resistance. It's nothing personal. I'm not trying to shout at you. It's just uh, I refuse to be intimidated. (laughs) And you know me. If I feel like the Lord told me to do it, well, I'll just back my ears and do it. (laughs) 
And I think most of you love the word. Amen. And do you know that God's never interested in trying to hurt you or take something away from you? Even if it sounds like a tough or a challenging thing, it's answers. It's good. Well, I don't know how I can do it. He does know how. Hmm? Well, it's impossible. Nothing's impossible if you believe. All things are possible to him or her that believes. Right? Number one, your body's not your own. Your spouse has authority over your body. Recognize it. Respect it. Heed it. Amen. What if my husband tells me to do something that's sinful with my body? Then you don't do it. Well, if he tells me I'm supposed to sleep with another man, you absolutely don't do it. Hmm? You should know that. We're talking about as is fit in the Lord. Both sides, both ways. 1 Thessalonians 5, are you there? 5 and 18. Well, read verse 16. This would be a good one for us right now. (laughs) Rejoice. Every marriage meeting, rejoice. Evermore, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In what? In everything, give thanks, this is the will of God. In remembering, repenting, redoing. When you first met them... If they just paused and looked straight at you, you were thankful. Huh? You were thankful. If they'd take the time to talk to you, you valued it, didn't you? You were thankful. If they'd go out with you for a meal, oh, were you thankful. Sit there and listen to you and actually act interested. You, right? You were thankful. You were thankful for the way they fixed their hair. You were thankful for the perfume they put on or the cologne. You were thankful because they shined their shoes. You were thankful. You were thankful because they washed their car to come get you or whatever. You were thankful for every little, every little note, everything, every little word, every phone call. Every touch of a finger. Is that right? You were thankful. You valued it. And because of that, the intensity just grew. Didn't it? The attraction. The passion. So many times when people get married, what happens? They start taking each other for granted. Hmm? They start taking each other for granted. And instead of being thankful for things, they begin to expect it and are unthankful. Were you supposed to do that? Where's my supper? (laughs) If I did this, the least you can do is that. You have stopped doing what you were doing. So now you're going to get something different. Are you listening? Are you with me now? Is that the best you could do? Why didn't you do this? People expect stuff. They feel like you owe it to me. 
You're supposed to have my stuff laid out. You're supposed to help me with the kids. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You owe me. You owe me. Even if they don't use those words, you owe me. You owe me. I've given you the last best ten years of my life. You owe me. Nobody wants to hear you owe me night and day. Nobody. Well, they do. Said who? Said who? Well, they do. No, no. They don't. They don't have to do anything for you. They don't have to stay with you another day. If they do, the Bible said they don't have to do the Bible. They have to forgive me. No, they don't. They have to. The Bible said, no, they don't have to do it. They don't have to have another meal with you. They don't have to talk to you again forever. It's a big planet. (laughs) This you owe me stuff kills feelings. It kills passion. It starves relationships. And they dry up. And they die. You want to get it back like it's supposed to be? And different, but better? What do you do? You got to go back and start doing some things like you used to do. Be thankful. You got any question about whether this is true or not? You go ask somebody whose spouse has recently gone home to be with the Lord. Let them explain to you how every moment was precious. Hmm? Let them explain to you how they wish they'd have paid a little more attention, lingered a little longer about this. Friends, we're here for this long. All our life is a vapor. We do not have each other unlimitedly. Every meal you have together is precious. Every time you have to talk to each other is precious. 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 Somebody say precious. It's precious. Well, if you're not thankful for it, you don't think it's precious. You're not viewing it as precious. If it really is precious to you, you are thankful for every word, every response. And you are not griping about what they're not doing. You're thankful for anything they do. Nobody has a right to demand from the other person. That's not even being a Christian. Forget this you owe me stuff. No matter what you think they owe you, they don't have to do one more thing the rest of their life. And it's just a spiritual law that if you despise something and fail to value it, you are in immediate danger of losing it, whether you think so or not. I mean, you can lose it just like that. There are so many that have, and they just wonder, what, what, what happened? What happened? What well, you despised them for years. Despise, in the biblical sense, just simply means fail to appreciate, fail to value. I want you to say it out loud, no matter what kind of feelings or what kind of stuff you've had, I want you to say it out loud, I love my spouse, I love my spouse. and I value my spouse. I value my spouse. Every word. Every minute of time, 
every opportunity. I realize it's not forever. And I value it. If you do, you'll act like it. You'll say two words a lot. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking the time to do that. Thank you. Thank you for that fine meal. Thank you for picking me up. Thank you for answering me on that. Thank you. Well, they're my spouse. They're supposed to. Stop that. That's how you lose it. They don't have to do anything more for you. Ever. It can be over tomorrow. No. Every kind word, every nice gesture is a gift. Another day together is a gift. Come on, do you believe it? It's a gift. Another opportunity to have some fun together. Enjoy each other. Nice drive. Beautiful sunset. Nice meal. Fun with the kids. Gifts. 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 They don't last long. Somebody say gifts. Be thankful for them. Now thirdly. And I've got a fourthly. If you can handle it. Can you? Amos 3. Did you find that? Amos 3. What are we talking about? Anybody remember? First love. People leave it. And lose it. Didn't leave them. They left it. Can you get it back? You can get it back. Different. But better. And how do you get it back? Got to remember. You got to be willing to repent and change what you're doing. And you've got to redo what you used to do that got you so fired up about them to start with. (laughs) Well, I won't say that. Uh, (laughs) It's interesting though. Amos 3. If you hadn't found it, we'll just put it up on the screen. Put Amos 3.3. Most of you know it. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? The uh, Message Bible says, Do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? Well, you can't walk hand in hand if you're going to different places, different destinations. Uh, The New Living Bible says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? We're hand in hand. Let's go north. Oh, no, I want to go south. Well, I'll go north, you go south, and we'll just maintain the relationship over the phone. We'll get together whenever we can. But I have a north ministry, and you have a south ministry. (laughs) Somebody said, what's wrong with that? It doesn't work. It's what's wrong with it. A number of pastor's wives that have told me, well... God called him the pastor of that church. That's not me. Now you're really not that dumb. 
God is not going to do things with people in ministry that's going to pull them apart and destroy their marriage and destroy their family. And so when it happens and people tell you, well, I was following God and I was following God, but it destroyed everything, somebody's wrong. Somebody didn't hear from God. It's okay for us to disagree about some, I shouldn't say disagree, maybe have different preferences about minor things. You like vanilla, I like chocolate. You like blue, I like red. I mean, those kind of differences are fine. It makes life interesting. But when it comes to the big stuff, you're supposed to agree. Right. And be on the same page. Hmm? And if you're going to have a life together, you got to flow together. you got to be together on business stuff and ministry stuff and family stuff and recreational stuff. You need to do stuff together. Hmm? You see people, they, and they really do stuff on purpose to stay away from each other. They make all these appointments with other people and they spend time he spends time with the guys and they're always doing this and she spends time with the women and they are never even whatever spare time they have they purposely book it to avoid dealing with things well you can't have a passionate relationship like that you got to be going the same direction you got to share vision That was first year at Rama, right? Or no, no. This must have been second year or so. Was that when Mom Hagen called you out? Talked to you on the side? We were doing that. I was in school in the Word all night and all day. Phyllis was in business all day and half the night. All the time. I'm always doing this. She's always doing that. We love each other. We're married. But we're growing apart. We're fighting more. Having more trouble. And this one particular meeting. I had been there all night and all day. And Phyllis had not been because of work. And she came. I think it was the last night or something. And Mom Hagen made a beeline over to her. And told her in no uncertain terms that she needed to be with me. She needed to be involved with me. Doing what we're doing. People might say, well, that's just archaic. That's just that generation was always stand by your man. And we live in a new generation. And... uh, Well, all you got to do is ask yourself the question, if you disagree with that, how are you doing? How you been doing? Two cannot walk together unless they're going the same direction. Physically impossible, spiritually impossible. Now, there may be times and seasons in your life, there are times when people have to go off to war. They may not see each other for months. But thank God for telephones. Amen. Thank God for emails. Letters. You can share. 
I said, you can share. You can talk about what you did today and what they did today and what we're believing for and keep it in front of you. Share it. That's what fellowship, koinonia, that's what it is. It's a sharing. Sharing. When you never talk about your day. You never talk about what you did. You're excluding each other from you. You have your separate lives. You have lost much. That's how people degenerate into being roommates instead of husbands and wives. You must talk. You must share. You must do things together. Well, I can see this is going over real big. You must do things together. Somebody say together. You must share as much as you can. And if they're interested in it, you better have some interest in it. I love airplanes. Yeah. I know. You know I like airplanes. And to fly, you have to have a lot of interest because it takes a lot of input and investment. But I know there's been times when I'm at the hangar for the fourth hour that Phyllis is ready to do something else. But if I go, did you know? That this pump makes 3,000 pounds per square inch. He goes, wow. (laughs) And I'm not looking for another woman either. Did you hear me? And I'm interested in things that she's interested in. You know, maybe we've already seen 18 pair of drapes. But I need to be interested. (laughs) Well, praise God. But when you do this, well, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. You just struck a death blow to part of your marriage. And the more you do it, the worse it's going to get. And the more vulnerable you're going to make each other to temptation. Because it's just like the enemy to have somebody come along and show tremendous interest in what you're interested in. And it's so wonderful and amazing. You don't know why your spouse doesn't find it interesting. And you're halfway to the bedroom. Are y'all with me or not? How can two walk together except they're going the same direction? Share as much as you possibly can. And if there are times when you're, because they're of good reason, separated by distance or time or whatever, make up for it as much as you can on the phone. Hmm? Now guys, I know it. I'm probably as bad as any of them. Phyllis said, I'm gone. I'm in meetings for three or four days. How's it going? Oh, it's good. How was the service? That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm satisfied. Yes, sir. But guys, that is not adequate <laughs> for most ladies, right? No, what do they want? Did you hear that, guys? Details. Details. Now let's turn it around. Ladies. <laughs> Guys are not so interested in details. 
So there are times when you need to put the brakes on and realize, ah, that's, that's too much information. They don't, they don't want to hear. And be con- both of us need to be considerate. It's not just one-sided. Both of us need to be considerate and share. <laughs> Converse. Talk. Fellowship. Brother Hagen used to say this. I hope I quote him exactly. He said, uh, talking about people, single people, talking about getting married. He said, find someone of equal spirituality and build a life together in God. Well, you got a person. You want to go to church all the time. You want to read your Bible. You want to pray all the time. They never do. You cannot be as close as you're supposed to be. You might say, well, I know it. And that's why I'm asked them 90 times a week, go to church, go to church. Wrong. Are you a hypocrite? What do you mean? You want them to show interest in what you're doing. Hmm? Well, yeah, but they're just carnal. And how are you acting? You don't have to show interest in sin or ungodliness. But you should sow some seed. Maybe he's interested in sports. Maybe he's interested in cars. Maybe he's interested in something else. Maybe you ought to go with him to a race. Go with him to a ball game. He might be a lot more interested in going with you to church. What if he don't? Well, you sowed good seed. And you're sowing seed into your marriage. But if you're too spiritual for all that. And you hadn't got time. Then don't complain because you don't have passion and you don't have like your first love and different but better. Well, it'll mess up my nails if I go fishing with him. (laughs) Well, which would you rather have? Nice nails or it to be good between you and your husband. Works both ways. Now, finally. Go with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes. Share your dreams together. Ecclesiastes 9, where we're going right now. Share your deepest desires and dreams with each other. Now listen, and when somebody does, I don't care how far-fetched it sounds, do not laugh at it, do not make light in front of it, do not put it down. That's why your spouse will quit talking to you. Say it out loud. Share your dreams. Share your your deepest desires. Your Your visions. Your Your goals. goals. Talk about it. Talk about it. And if your spouse begins to open up to you and begins to talk to you and they're serious, don't you dare laugh at them. Don't you dare make fun. Don't you dare say, that's ridiculous. You should be thinking about this. Even if it seems off to you or it seems impossible, listen seriously and be open-minded. And here's something else. Share your heart. Share your dreams. Share your vision with your spouse. Never with anybody else. This is how so many affairs started. 
Well, my husband won't listen to me. He doesn't take me seriously. And he doesn't care about my ministry. And you find somebody who is interested. And so you bear your soul. to the, Well, my wife doesn't respect me. She doesn't believe in my dream. She doesn't share my goals. And there's some woman that is glad to listen. And as you open your heart, you actually become unfaithful in your soul before you're unfaithful with your body. You should never have allowed them into that place in your heart. You should never. I mean, it'd be like pulling off your clothes in front of them. But you're opening and bearing your soul to them. So what's wrong with that? Everything. It is spiritual and soulical unfaithfulness. You're only supposed to be talking about those kind of things with your spouse. And if you won't do this with other people, you'll protect yourself. There'll be people that'll pull on you to do it. They'll pull on you to do it. Well, tell me your, you know, tell me your dreams. Tell me your visions. Well, they're not your spouse. If you wouldn't take off your clothes in front of them, you shouldn't open your soul in front of them either. No. No. That's why it's so important that you're able to talk to your spouse. That's why you must respect each other in these areas. Even if you can't see it all, or you don't know why, or you don't know how, at least you can be attentive and respectful and open. Same thing with teenagers and kids. I mean, if you want a relationship with them where you can talk, And where they'll tell you anything and share everything with you, you cannot go ballistic when they tell you something. You cannot fall off your chair and go into a rage. You do, and they're not going to talk to you anymore. Your spouse, they share their heart with you, and you make fun of them. You laugh, they're not going to talk to you anymore. Now, if that has happened, repent. Remember and repent. Go to them and say, I was wrong. I acted stupid. Forgive me. I do respect what you think. I do respect what you got on your heart. I may not see it all, but I'm open. Get those lines open again. And the next time they offer to talk, do not shoot them down. Ecclesiastes 9, can you take this? In finishing up, I think. Ecclesiastes 9, Ecclesiastes 9 and 9, well, verse 7 goes with it. Go your way, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. God now accepts your works. Let your garments be always white. Let your head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom you have loved all the days of the life of your vanity. Somebody say joyfully. Live joyfully. Say it out loud again. Live joyfully. We are not supposed to be enduring each other. We're supposed to be enjoying each other. We're supposed to be having fun. I'm talking about husbands and wives. We're supposed to be having joy with each other. Hmm? 
Listen to uh, Deuteronomy 24, 5. You don't have to turn there. But it said when a man took a new wife, he wasn't to go out to war. He wasn't to be charged with any business. He's supposed to be free at home for one year and cheer up his wife. Yes. Do what? Cheer up. What does that mean? That's like that joy. Living joyfully with making each other happy. Joyful. Boy, you can tell we're really on this, can't you? <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you feel we were like? <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Cheer up. <laughs> Life is too short to go three days cold war and don't speak to each other. Life is too short to stay miffed and half mad week in and week. It's too short. I'm telling you, our moments together are few and precious. And if we waste days and days and days fussing and fighting and arguing and just being cold one of these days, you're going to regret it. It'll be over. And you'll look back and go, oh. How stupid. That wasn't important. We could have enjoyed that day. Messed up that whole trip. Acting so carnal. I thought I was so spiritual. Had to prove my point. Can't change the past. But you can change yourself right now. Hmm? You can tell, you can tell when things start to go the wrong way and have some wisdom and understanding and get a hold of yourself and say, hold up, hold up now. Is this really worth messing up our day off? Hmm? Me making a deal out of this, is this really worth us messing up our evening? Let's have some sense. Live joyfully. Cheer each other up. I mean, there's so much chuck in the world when you get home to each other. You ought to find somebody that's going to cheer you up. Yes. Maybe you find some people that chewed on you. There's people that talk bad to you, talk down to you in the workplace or at the marketplace. or When you get home, you're supposed to see a smile out of him and out of her. You're supposed to see smiles. I see some folk need some exercise. Take take your fingers right here and just push it up. Just try it on for sight, yeah? Show some teeth. Now, when you turn loose, make it stay that way. Your spouse needs to see that on a regular basis. Somebody say joyfully. Joyfully. Cheer each other up. Live joyfully. Go to Genesis uh, 26. I think I'm done with this. Genesis 26. This is part of the same thing. This verse has just stood out to me for years. I found this word interesting. And I finally got some light on it today. Somebody say, live joyfully together. Cheer each other up. 
You know, Sarah said something enlightening when she, I mean, she's older and Abraham's older than her. I mean, they're what into their eighties and nineties and the angel talks about her conceiving a child and she laughed within herself and said, shall I have pleasure? She refers to physical relations as pleasure in her eighties. Somebody say, cheer up. Joyfully, Joyfully. pleasure, Pleasure. these are words that describe a right marriage. Fussing, fighting, arguing does not. That's what sinners do. Not supposed to be us. In Genesis 26, now I know the different translations bring out different things on this, but if you'll look carefully, you'll see one thing just stands out. Genesis 26 and 8. 26 8. Said the king uh, uh, Isaac, when it came to pass, he'd been there a long time. The king Abimelech of the Philistines looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. <laughs> I've always found that word amusing. <laughs> sporting. What were y'all doing? Sporting. (laughs) We were being sporty. Sportful. We were carrying on sportingly. (laughs) We were sporting. I know some translations bring out caressing, fondling, different things. But if you look up the word in the original, it's interesting what it means to laugh out loud to laugh outright and out loud in fact same word is many times translated laugh laugh is this describing your marriage (laughs) well you're in the right place you are in the right place (laughs) joyfully Cheerfully, pleasure, sporting, (laughs) laughing right out loud. And that not that such a good indicator of a healthy relationship? Husbands and wives, you hear them talking. And what a wonderful home for the kids to hear mom and daddy laughing out loud. Playing with each other. Laughing and sporting and having fun. Playing and being cheerful. Hmm? Isn't that better than hearing screaming and yelling and even cussing? And throwing stuff and breaking stuff and hitting each other. This kind of stuff is happening in Christian homes so called. What should we be hearing? Come on help me out. Laughing outright. Laugh right out loud. Healthy. Hearty. Belly laugh. About what? About your spouse. About something they just did. Something they just said. You're having fun with each other. You're enjoying each other. Isn't that what so-called couples in love do? They'll sit over at the corner table and 
giggle all night <laughs> over nothing. Moon-eyed, laughing. Jokes don't have to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing. I read somewhere that five-year-olds laugh an average of 113 times a day. Anybody with little ones, can you confirm that? Little ones are laughing all the time. 113 times a day on average, some more. What does that mean? What does that mean? They see something, what do they do? They laugh. They laugh right out loud. That's what this word means. To laugh outright or to just laugh right out loud. They say uh, by the time a person reaches 44 years of age, They laugh maybe 11 times a day. They went from 113 times a day to 11 times a day because they grew up. Didn't the scripture tell us unless we become converted, become like little children, we wouldn't enter in to the things of the kingdom of God. We need that's something you did not need to lose. I did not need to lose. Hmm? And certainly not with our marriage. When you quit laughing and you never laugh with each other, it's not good. You've lost something. So, here's another assignment. <laughs> Let's bring that number up. This week. Huh? Let's bring that number up. Let's do something to amuse our spouse. <laughs> Let's do something. Huh? To entertain them, to amuse them, to make them feel better. Let's make it a, a, a purpose to get a laugh out of them. Get a smile out of them. See something, please them. See something. And if you love people, that's what you want to do all the time. If you love people, you want to see them happy. You want to see them pleased. You want to see them amused and and laughing right out loud. Why? Man, that's living. You laughing like that? Enjoying life? You're living life. You're enjoying each other. Stand on your feet. Well, we had fun tonight, glory to God. Tell all your friends. (laughs) Say glory to God. We had something last night. Don't know what it was, but we had it. We, we, We had something. Some things are better than you know they are. They're better than you think they are. They get in your spirit. They begin to work. They affect you. Days and years to come. Just close your eyes and hold up your hands and heart before the Lord. Said out loud, Father God, forgive me, forgive us for leaving our first love in any degree to you, to each other. We are willing to remember, to repent. To redo redo. 
the first works. What we used to do to recover first love and increase. Bring these things to our remembrance in our dealings with one another. Show us how to put them into practice. How to be effective doers of your word. And give us increase in joy. Increase in intimacy and closeness and openness. We claim increase in our marriages in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, just praise Him a little bit. Oh, we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Os nimo inke, es dumen into, os domenga ilte oflomara bremaste. Oh, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I need to interpret part of that. For the Spirit yearns, the Spirit desires to manifest love through you, to manifest joy through you, to manifest life and peace through you to your spouse, to your family, to the world. Don't shut me out. Don't shut each other out. Don't harden yourself and become hard hearted towards them towards each other for in doing so you harden yourself against me and you harden yourself to me also yield to me yield to the joy yield to the peace yield to the love yield to the life and see your witness increase a hundredfold in this life to those round about you Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.